I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Step onto the legendary clay courts of Roland Garros, where the world's best players battle it out at the French Open for a chance to win a Grand Slam title. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. See the action unfold as legends fight for glory and new rivalries emerge. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th, with match replays on demand so you never miss a moment. From the first serve to the final point, Roland Garros promises unforgettable moments and new chapters in tennis history. Stream now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. This podcast was recorded on Wurundjeri land. We pay our respect to their elders past and present and to the traditional owners of the game Mangrook, without which our game wouldn't exist. This is Woody Actually from Play On Radio. Welcome to Footy Actually, the weekly footy podcast that is alternative listening for diehard fans. I am the footy fan, Rana Hussein, of course. I am your host. And with me, as always, is AFL analyst Gemma Bastiani, feeling a little under the weather today. It's okay, I still waved. You did wave. <laughs> Forget. Forget that no one else can see. It's just special for me. Every week, I have to wave. <laughs> It's very sweet. It's a very sweet day too, I have to say. I'm coming out of an Olympics coma, I guess, or something. My The headiness that was the Olympics, I've suddenly kind of come back down to earth and remembered that there's football on. And I did manage to watch a few games this weekend. I thought I'd better wean myself off the Olympics and slowly transition back into the AFL. How's your weekend been? Yeah, I mean, Olympics, um, siren stuff around the Olympics is a lot as well. And then, yeah, trying to watch as much footy as I can, Um, updating all my databases because AFLW preseason begins in less than a month. And we're going to be talking a bit bit of AFLW today as well. Um, Yeah, there's a lot. We had a draft. We had a Since draft. The last time yes, uh, that's my. Also, I should flag that it's my bad that we didn't do an episode last week. I was way too tired, so um, that's I should okay. flag with everyone that I have shingles again, which is really fun. Um, it's bad for motivation, but it's fine. Uh, but that's why we didn't have an episode last week. But we will mention the draft a little bit later. Well, yeah, the draft feels like so long ago, but it was really just like a week ago, right? When week and a that? half, yeah. Week and a half. Two Tuesdays ago. Well, we haven't even talked about that, so we will get to that at the end of the show. Um, but for now, let's stay with the AFLM as we are wont to do. We have some football to talk about. We'll start with the Saints in the spotlight because they've shown some improvement. Yeah, so when we want to, what we want to see from sides that are kind of not quite a very challenging team but attempting to make that leap from a mid-level team up into a genuine finals contender is um, showing that they can improve and strategize based on previous experience. And I think that's something that the Saints absolutely showed this weekend coming up against the Swans for the second time this year. They took the lessons from that loss, which was a close loss, rectified it and then executed across four quarters, which I thought was incredibly impressive. They didn't drop that game style that was clearly working very well at all throughout the whole game. There was no moment really where the Swans felt like they were in control and it was super impressive. And I think Max King, obviously prior to getting injured in this game, um, kind of exemplified that. We had those big conversations in the this last, last time these teams matched up that uh, Max King was getting dragged over the coals by the commentators and there was nothing positive being said by them. And But the reality of that game was that Dane Rampey was blanketing him pretty well in that game and wasn't really allowing him to play the kind of key forward role that he wanted to play. 
this game was the opposite of that. He'd obviously learned from that experience, gone out and he did his work on how Dane Rampey wanted to play on him and was really kind of dominating him until he did get injured, which was a big plus for the Saints. So I just wanted to flag that because so often we don't talk about how teams have learned from previous experience with those teams and come in with a new game plan. I think Brett Ratton deserves credit for that, but also on the field, they executed the game plan very well for the the course of the whole game, which I thought was super impressive. You said Brett Ratton then, and I was so confused because in my head I thought Ben Ratton, which we're about (laughs) to talk about, and I was like, which round of AFL am I in? Mind is spinning. No, I really loved um, the improvement that they've shown this week. And Max King... I mean, I'm such a big fan. But he got, he was injured during the game, right? Yeah, he injured his groin and he was subbed off, I think, just before halftime, which, you know, could have led the Saints to drop their heads and lose that pressure game and stop dominating in the air, which is a really important one. But they didn't. And I think Jack Steele absolutely led the way as well. So I think that is an extra tick for the Saints was they didn't just come out, do that in the first half. And then once their star player got injured, they dropped away and didn't really hold that control. But no, they continued to do that throughout the whole thing. They had different people step up in the forward line. I mean, Shaman, Shaman, is that how you say his name? Um, He was so dangerous uh, in that forward line. And then Tim Membry is obviously an experienced tall forward who um, makes really good decisions. So the fact that they didn't go in with a reliance on one or two players, that they spread the load and also didn't drop their heads when an injury happened, super impressive. I love Max King. I don't really know why. I mean, aside from his, that he's a good player, I don't know why I extra love him. Anyway, go Saints. Uh, well, speaking of Ben Rutten and his Bombers, uh, what a showing from them on Sunday. It was, that was such a great game. They played Western Bulldogs. I really, I mean, I was hoping that they'd win, but I really didn't think they would. Yeah, I think the thing about the Bombers is that we're finally seeing Ben Rutten's stamp on the team and what he really wants to do. I don't know that until the bye we really saw that. We're seeing what Ben Rutten wants to do with the team. He's not just playing the team as it was last year under Worsfold. He's making some really key positional changes, which has really kind of invigorated the side. It obviously helps that he's got a few players back from injury and a few other things as well. So moving Aaron Francis into the forward line rather than into defence. So it looks like a more of a long-term plan, not just a right-now plan for being able to replace players that will be phased out of the side in the coming year. So Cale Hooker can't get a spot in the side right now, um, but Aaron Francis is taking up that key forward slot. And then you look at the way Stringer's mm. been playing in the midfield um, and Merritt, Shiel and Stringer are able to take a bit of that pressure off Parrish because that was probably a criticism earlier in the year was that Parrish is having this incredible year and we all respect that, but it's too much on him and not enough on others. They have mm. found that balance in the midfield as well. Is it just me or was Stringer having a quiet game actually? I I don't necessarily think that he had a quiet game. I think um, that they found more avenues through that midfield. So Mm. it seems like he's having a quiet game or it seems like Paris is having a quiet game when in reality they've found balance, which is what every side wants. Like it's great when one player stars and we'll get to a star player in just a second, but it's more important that you can have more strings to your bow and the best teams and premiership teams are teams that do that rather than have the reliance on one player who doesn't really get any sort of reprieve. Um, Yeah. So that midfield has found way more balance. And then yeah, Peter Wright stepped up, kicked seven goals. And it wasn't just the fact that he kicked seven goals. He was strong in the air. So his aerial presence, not just in the forward line, but up on the wing was super important, but then his shots on goal were, just like genuinely really good traditional centre-half forward set shots. They were long bombs most of the time. They were accurate and he was just reliable the whole time. They knew that if they got it in his hands, he could get the job done. And he was ultimately the difference as well. So I think Ben Rutten has found confidence in uh, playing the list how he wants to play them and it's paying dividends. 
Darcy Parrish also seems so much happier now, don't you think? Yeah, he's not getting bashed around every week anymore. He's not relied <laughs> on to be the only clearance player in the side. It was such a good move by Essendon to, you know, let some players move along and get some fresh young kids in. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's really paying dividends now. Absolutely. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. All right. Well, Ben Rutten doesn't need to pull his socks up just yet, but the Essendon District Football League maybe do need to. Gemma, you have something to say. Yeah, I mean, most people probably have seen this um, circulating Twitter or um, other sorts of social media, but obviously COVID is a problem. We all accept that this is a problem and it's impacting community sport. It's impacting elite sport all around the country. So we understand that changes may need to be made and different things need to happen in terms of structuring a final series. What you shouldn't be doing which is what Essendon District Football League has done, is shorten the division that is the girls' division's final series uh, and, from my understanding, uh, playing 1v2 off in a grand final. That's their goal is to play 1v2 off in a grand final instead of a top four structure like was planned. But all of their boys' divisions, I believe there are four boys' divisions, get to keep their final series as is. So the only division that has had their final series changed or shortened in this way is the girls division. So what you're telling your girls players is that they're less important, that their results and their finals are less important than the boys. Um, And you're telling them that they matter less and it's just not good enough. And it's really disappointing in this day and age where we're seeing exponential growth of women's sport we're seeing the impact that teams like the matildas and the hockey roos are having at the olympics the sort of viewership they're getting Mm. because people love and are invested in women's sport the fact that 8 10 12 year old girls are being told that their final series matters less than their brothers does and it's just (laughs) incredibly disappointing and i love that aflw players have come out and said i'm willing to umpire when we're allowed to, I'm willing to run the boundary, but they shouldn't have to. Like it's lovely, but they shouldn't have to do that because they should be treated the same as what the boys are. And it's just, it's really disappointing that this is a continual thing that's happening. Um, Yeah. It's bollocks. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The thing that kills me is that it's the pathways. Like it's the, it's the kids who, There's so many things. Like I have so many thoughts. I won't go into all of them. But, yes, COVID is restrictive and has um, taken its toll. But it should, we should be aiming for it. If we are restricted resourcing-wise, then whatever resources we do have, divide them up equally between the men's and women's. And at that young age, like that is when you learn that you are valued and belong and what is possible. And if what hope do they have if from that young age they're getting told that their competition is second tier? It just kills me so yeah. much. Oh. Uh, but you've got one. Yeah, look, it was also a killer for people of colour, which it just feels like every week we end up having the same conversation um, in sport around racism. I think most people are across the fact that Tex Walker uh, said something quite racist and has been suspended for it, uh, and he will also, so he won't play again till next year, and he will donate some money to an Indigenous cause. Uh, the issue I have, well, I have so many issues, but one that really kind of bee in my bonnet was, and this happens time and time again, that every time something like racism or sexism or homophobia turns up, in sport, social issues turn up in sport. 
our sports media and especially our mainstream sports media prove time and time again that they're not necessarily equipped to deal with it. And beyond not being equipped to deal with it or the outcome of that is that sometimes they can cause extra harm on top of what's already happened. So we saw people speaking about what Tex said as being casual racism, as a mistake, as something that a good guy did when he wasn't thinking, a blunder. And the reality, and I understand the points that they're trying to make, that basically what they're saying is let's not tarnish a whole man's character in this one moment. But the point is that whatever the intention, and I just we can debate the intention as well, but whatever the intention, a harm was caused. And by minimising it with that kind of language, it actually adds to the harm and not just to the person it was directed at, but as people of colour listening to it, it also does harm to us. And I think people forget, especially sports media seem to forget that there are people not just on field but also off field who work in these industries who listen to this really closely. And then audiences, their own audience who listens to this really carefully. And I just thought, what are we doing? Like sport now must grapple with this and the public want sport, not just the codes, but it's media to grapple with these issues properly. And so I expect media presenters and the broadcasters to educate their presenters on this stuff so that they can adequately talk to it. And I just find that they haven't been able to. Do you think that as a a white person Mm. watching the reaction to what had happened, it frustrated me uh, because I was sick of hearing white men tell me how Taylor Walker isn't racist after he said something racist. Um, the only person of colour that um, I've seen in the media have an actual platform to say something on those same media channels is Tony Armstrong, who had some very powerful words to say. Mm. But it constantly, and, and this is a, a misogynistic thing that we encounter regularly, it's a racist thing that we can't encounter regularly. It exposes the fact that our sport media, especially footy media, is just a lot of white men having opinions about uh, sectors of the community that they don't represent. And we'll get to it with something else that you're going to bring up shortly. But I'm sick of hearing from white dudes about stuff that they don't understand or care about. Well, isn't it funny because women often get told well, you're not in this, you don't know football because you haven't played it, so you can't really talk to it. And that's the argument used to limit all sorts of people from talking about football. So if we use their same argument against them, it would (laughs) track that then they shouldn't be commenting on the issues and giving their opinions on it because if they, you know, Dermot Brereton would be the first person to say to me, you don't know anything about football. So, and like, you know, we talk about football on this podcast and I very clearly and regularly remind everybody that I'm not an expert on this. I'm talking as a fan. These are my opinions. So even that acknowledgement would be great from them. I'm not an expert on this issue. I don't really know what I'm talking about, but from where I sit, this is how I see it. Even that's problematic. But at the the very least, an acknowledgement, there are no people of colour in this room. So, you know, we are not comprehensive in this conversation. Just even that would be great. I understand that they can't necessarily not talk about it, but to at least just acknowledge that there's some limitations to the conversation would be ideal. All right, well, on to a little bit of fun, although I've got a juicy one for this one too. 
very excited. I don't know how much fun it's going to be. Of course, we're talking about the presser. This is where we ask the questions we would love to ask if we were in a press conference post-game, but we aren't, so we don't get to. <laughs> um, Gemma, let me start with you. You've got a question for Chris Scott. Yeah, so obviously I've been in AFLW list management head, like brain all this time and uh, for the past couple of weeks and I've spoken to a few list managers this week and that's list building is a obviously a prominent idea in my mind right now. I haven't articulated that very well, but you get what I mean. Um, so I'd love to ask Chris Scott, while I understand that um, – the main priority is what your next who your next opponent is who are you playing this weekend how do you beat them with your current available list is there a fear or a concern that they're preparing to lose some really good talent at the end of the year or end of next year because they're playing guys that are 30 and above over the younger guys blooding them. And we've seen it happen at Hawthorne where they've kind of been reluctant to blood that young talent and then it's fallen away completely for them. I know Geelong isn't necessarily in the same boat because we have seen Brad Close come in and have a consistent impact. We've seen a few others come in. But Charlie Constable and Quentin Narkle are the ones that are front of mind for me. Those are the kinds of players that you want in your team and you want kind of fast-tracked to... Um, be a regular contributor and at any other team I feel like they would be but Mm. because Geelong has these this really um, top heavy list they're not and they they may be losing them soon for that reason I'm worried about Geelong because I really thought they would make it to the grand final and probably win but I'm not so sure like every week I there feel are like no I good teams runner there are no good teams there are no good teams which <laughs> kind of makes it a great season for us but you're right there are no good teams <laughs> uh you have a good question that we're going to have a bit of a chat about yes well of course I would like to ask a question of Nick Del Santo uh in light of him being given I was going to say awarded um, I guess that's right. Awarded the handed, handed, <laughs> handed honors of a blood, as I might say, uh, the job of head coach of the St Kilda women's team. My question to him would be, why do you deserve this job over others? That's my question. I want to know. I'm, I have no problem with him getting it but I'd love to hear from him why he thinks he deserves it more than others who were also in the running. Just curious. So you obviously our listeners can't see me, <laughs> but that whole time I was really tense, just like where do I start um, discussing oh. this? Because there's been a lot of conversation online about it. I've, I've largely stayed out of it. Um, because it's a really complex, complex situation, right? There's the question of meritocracy. There's the question of women's talent in the coaching space. There's the question of um, investment in the women's pathway. Now, I think the conversation online has been very much focused on the women's talent in the space. So the assumption from a lot of people that uh, the fact that it's not a woman is what the issue is. Obviously, the fact that there's no women coaches in the AFLW this coming season is a concern. Um, But for me, it's not the biggest concern. For me, the biggest concern is that there's probably five coaches in the AFLW right now for the next season. And I'm not going to name who the five coaches are. I would. I assume people can guess there are five coaches, including this new appointment of people who have gotten the job without ever stepping foot um, in a job that is coaching women as a head coach. There are five of them that have walked into an AFLW head coaching role 
without ever having coached a women's team. Some of them had never coached a team before. Um, That's where my issue is. So it's not about putting a woman into that role, even though there are a number of really qualified women that could have, but there are men who deserve those roles as well. Paddy Hill um, is the most obvious one. He's the, has been the assistant coach at St Kilda with um, under Peter Searle. He coached Hawthorne's AFLW side to the 2018 VFL, uh, Hawthorne's VFLW side to the 2018 Premiership. Um, he very, very qualified candidate. I don't know who put their hand up, but he seemed like a the obvious choice. We've got to talk about the fact that Scott Gowns is still an assistant coach and he has worked in women's footy for mm-hmm. years, years before... AFLW existed. He had a great record at North Melbourne. So there are men that are more qualified to be in these positions. And and then we talk about the Beck Goddards, who obviously seems like the obvious candidate once Hawthorne gets their team. Chloe McMillan is a superstar who should be stepping up into one of those roles any day now. Um, Penny Cooler-Reed is another one. You've got people like Amy Lavelle and Lisa Webb over in WA who are doing those things. There are and Port Adelaide have put their hand up for a female coach. So exactly. So there are there are people who are people, not just women, who are have been invested in women's sport and have been coaching at community level, um, VFLW level for years. The fact that they've gone with someone who has never coached a side, just an academy, and who has never worked with women before. I would like St Kilda to explain why on meritocracy that is the right choice. A hundred percent. And that is my that is exactly my frustration here too. And that's what I saw on Twitter. Everybody I've spoken to has said it's not actually like, yes, more women in coaching pathways. Yes, we need that, but we want to see the plan for that in this specific, because there's two conversations, right, in this yep. specific choice. It was like, huh, there are other people, both men and women, who know this space and that's what we want. We want these roles to be valued and honoured and put in their rightful place. And, again, no disrespect to Nick Del Santo himself, it felt like a choice that the club made without any kind of insight into the impact of it not to mention the optics of it because again it wasn't about this is a man it was this this is not the most qualified candidate yeah does he know women's football and i don't know i and I, that's why i genuinely just want to ask him you know what makes you deserving of this over scott gowans or a patty hill the other if- thing for me that's confounding about this sorry Gemma, is that's okay the fact that they and the way they dropped this news told me that they weren't expecting a backlash, which is mind blowing to me because surely after everything, if they were tuned in, they would know that when Peter Sell left, they would have to make a really strong choice here. And it was so confusing. It was like, well, who's making this decision? You clearly aren't plugged into the AFLW community either. <sighs> the fact that there were no whispers that he was even a candidate until an hour before it got announced was really interesting because that's very rare. Um, the other thing that is fascinating is this conversation about if you played a lot of men's footy, therefore you must be a good coach. Because we've seen in the men's footy that that's not the requirement. Look at Chris Fagan um, super having an incredible run at Brisbane. Obviously they lost on the weekend, but we won't talk about that part. But his, his experience there is outweighing any sort of playing career he would have had. Um, you look at... Um, even Alistair Clarkson, was his playing career that impressive? No, but he's a coach and that's completely separate. And then you look at incredible players who have bombed out as coaches. Look look at Matthew Primus, champion of Port Adelaide. He, What did he do as a coach? And this is the thing, like there's this assumption that, oh, you played a lot of men's footy, therefore you must be a good AFLW coach. And I'm sure Nick Del Santo will be fine. I'm sure reasonably positive things will happen which then will just reinforce this idea instead of changing the conversation um the one sorry just one more thing 
Nathan Burke is a different example. He played a lot of men's footy, was incredible at it, but also then invested his time and effort after his playing career into the development of girls and women's footy. That's why he's been able to step into the Western Bulldogs and do as well as he has because he's been invested in it from the start. He didn't walk in having played 300 men's games and never having coached anyone and done it. He coached community girls footy with his daughters for years and he's an incredible person to have at that club. I have no issue with him being a coach over a woman. I have an issue with Nick Del Santo having this job on the basis of meritocracy. And look, there might be other things going on here, but they certainly haven't alluded to it. They certainly haven't shown, you know, been transparent with the decision-making and time and time again, I say that when it comes to communities who feel marginalised within the game, transparency is absolutely the key. Otherwise, we don't understand and then we feel marginalised yet again. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the other thing I think that this shows us and proves is that what we, which is what we've been saying that the game the women's game isn't being treated with the love and care that it perhaps deserves and this again yeah. decision shows us that because it's proving to me that AFLW is still seen as second tier within the league because it's not just a male-female thing. It's like AFLW is still that place where we can send men who... Stepping our stone. is a stepping stone. Our favourite sons can go and cut their teeth and then come back into the male system. We can just chuck them a name and they'll be happy, that kind of vibe. where it, And they got it completely wrong. But, you know, like it just shows me that it's not just a, we don't care about women. It's we just don't care about women's sport. Like we just don't care about this competition enough to give it its due process. And that really bothered me. I think that loops back to our previous conversation about having men writing, being the main uh avenue main conduit in terms of sport media and footy media because the way men chose to write about this appointment Mm. was very very different to how most of the aflw community felt um and it it seemed obvious that yeah the use of the word clear clear pathway or clear next step or whatever it was that john ralph wrote in terms of um it being oh you coached an academy oh or you assisted at an academy, oh, AFLW head coach must be the next step on your way up through your coaching ranks. Um, you'd never put someone into a, an AFLM head coaching job after having been assisted at an academy. So the fact that a, a male journalist, and, and this isn't just John Ralph, this is almost all of them, the fact that he chose to write it in that way and not thinking that that's an issue, I think is a really big problem in terms of how the women's game is viewed and respected and revered because it's not (laughs) because they don't feel that way about the game so they don't write about it in a way that would encourage others to feel that way oh all right well now that we've got that off our (laughs) off our shoulders let's get a bit loosey stretch it out uh and anoint our play on performer for the round some good news please Gemma. Yes, so obviously uh, Peter Wright had an incredible game kicking those seven goals. Um, Alir Alir had an incredible game despite uh, copying that racial abuse as well. He was outstanding in that game. Uh, but the person I want to talk about today is someone who I've, I've almost chosen about four times this year and have, he's always been pipped by someone else. Um, but let's talk about Sam Taylor from the GWS yes, Giants. Please. As a one-on-one defender, he's one of the best in the competition. And I think he finally got the recognition for it this week, um, for this performance, uh, in terms of the broader footy um, world. He had 17 intercepts in a game, in the game, uh, 12 marks and had 21 disposals at 86% efficiency. So not just winning the ball back, but also using it well when he was creating passages of play for his team which I thought was really good 
Um, since he returned in round 17 from injury, he's really been one of the best one-on-one defenders in the comp. He kept Hawkins to one goal and just 10 disposals. And he really did it did to Geelong what Tom Stewart typically does to opposition sides. And I think that really took Geelong's attack away. I really liked seeing uh, Geelong get beaten. <laughs> That's all I have to say to that. Well, you can thank Sam Taylor for it. Yes, I do. Thank you, Sam Taylor. It was good. And watching Gold Coast win. That was also You great. did message me after that game. You and love I, a Gold Coast I win. do love a Gold Coast win. I think my response to you was Will Powell's first goal. Was that what yes. I said to you? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It was yeah. great. It was a weekend of first goals for players. Mm. Lloyd Meek. Um, who else? Kicked? Oh, Jake Collajasny kicked his first goal. Morris Rioli Jr. Oh, incredible. I was so happy oh, for him. So happy. Just that like, video. He's such a happy person. Can't get the smile off his face, can he? That video of him when he got, got told that he will debut just. Beautiful. Oh, slayed me. It was so beautiful. Yeah. Uh, very, very big moment for the football community that I thought it was lovely. Yeah. Wonderful. All right, well, we better start talking about the games of the next round, even though as of recording, this current round has not completed yet. We're still waiting to watch Melbourne and who are they playing? West Coast. Casey Simons will be very mad at you, Rana. <laughs> I'm still, I'm like midway between Tokyo and Melbourne. It's all just I'm slowly coming back, but I'm in transit. My next round, I'll be back. <laughs> All right, well, let's preview some of the games on that cheery note. Um, You're going to tee up GWS versus Richmond. When and where do they play, Gemma? No one knows yet uh, because the fixture hasn't been announced and there's every chance that games will change um, and the matchups maybe won't be the same. But as it stands now, we don't have a fixture, so we're just talking about the matchups. Sorry, everyone. COVID. but GWS Richmond, if they do play off against one another, this does a lot to shape that bottom uh, eighth spot, really, um, of finals. And both got a win, probably GWS getting an unexpected win as well on the weekend. It it could be a really fascinating game, I think. Very fascinating. I think Richmond can hang on. But um, I'm not, if Dusty was playing... For me, I thought they just need to make finals and then they're set. But now I'm not so sure. <laughs> I'd love to see what they do in a final series without Dusty. I think that's very interesting. I have no opinion on that. <laughs> Clearly not to you. I'm going to very quickly talk about the Derby, the Western Derby. Did I say that right? Yes. Wow. Amazed with myself because I never get that right. <laughs> Fremantle versus West Coast Eagles. Again, we don't know when they're playing, but I suspect it'll be rather late given West Coast are playing tonight. So mm. back end of the round. Look, depending on what happens tonight, that will up or lower the ante for West Coast Eagles, I guess. Both teams need to win to make finals. What do you think of this one? I think this is a really interesting game because Frio have been so hit and miss in terms of how injuries have affected them and how they can overcome them and then actually put together a performance. Whereas West Coast, it's been the opposite. There's just no excuses for how poorly they've played at times. So two super volatile teams in terms of unpredictability coming up against one another in a derby, a state rivalry, which we know is huge, plus that added pressure of need to win I think it'll be a super interesting game yeah it's one of those weird ones that just it shouldn't be a good game but will be I'm looking yeah. forward to it plus I really want to see West Coast do well after they get smashed by Melbourne this evening <laughs> I want to see Frio do well that's true I do want to see Frio do well as well we want everyone to do well that's a lie all right i'm slowly actually not slowly at all very quickly losing the plot so i'm going to move on to a listener question and we'll do tips at the end i think sounds good this first question is a doozy 
when is the AFL going to start being consistent with their head protection stance? <laughs> I should clarify that this was asked in the Siren Discord chat and it was asked far more aggressively than we've typed it out to be read here. So the person that asked this is very... Uh, Wait, let me set, try and say it more aggressively. Oh, no, no. The uh, actual phrasing <laughs> was far more aggressive than how <laughs> right, I added right, it right. to Some our words have been omitted, I see. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I think they have every right to say this. I think mm. um, it's kind of, it, it's so obvious and this sounds so conspiratorial, which is what I try not to be, but it's so, it, it seems so clear that certain players um, are treated differently by the MRO which I think is just, it's internal bias that is hard to switch off. Um, I think most people looked at the two incidents from the weekend, so the Toby Green one and the Joel Selwood one, from the same game and thought, all right, they're probably both going to get a week. But instead, Toby Green being Toby Green got two, um, whereas because you compare that one to the Bailey Fritch one of earlier this year, Fritch got one and then got off on appeal. So people were probably thinking, oh, it'll be along the same lines. Um, mm. And then the Joel Selwood one where he very clearly lined him up to bump, got him flush in the head, didn't get him in the body at all, and he got a fine for it. It seems really odd that the AFL talks about protecting the head, protecting the head, um, but then those that's what gets handed down. Uh, mm. And the action should be judged not the result of the action. Well, if this were a corporate environment and people didn't trust in the system or if it was politics and people didn't trust the system, you would do a full review and go over it all again, fine tooth comb, put new people in. Now, I don't know if the AFL have the appetite or the money for that, but... Really, we've been talking about this for so long. It's been an issue for so long. You'd think that they would do some kind of review of the review system. Well, if you're going to say you want to protect the head, then all uh, decided on head high contact. So where a player has specifically decided to make contact with someone's head, whether it results in a concussion or not, should be uh, looked at in the same way, right? Or at least graded minimally at the same level but then we have incidents where tom mitchell hits tom todd goldstein in the back of the head way off the ball and is still eligible to win the Brownlow because they choose not to suspend him for that but then toby green who i know a lot of people dislike and he doesn't have the best track record does the fend off exactly the same way bailey fritch did but because it's toby green he is looked at differently to the other players. But then a Joel Selwood, whoever and reveres um, as courageous and this and that, lines up someone's head, gets him in the head and causes injury to him, but not enough injury that he stops playing. It's just a fight. Like, it seems really odd to me that we're grading it yeah. based on whether the player is severely injured or not instead of wiping out that action itself. Agree. And I don't know the ins and outs of it, but it does feel like courage and notions of what is courageous versus unsportsmanlike is coming into it and that doesn't seem right to me but look no answer to that question <laughs> basically what we've delivered for you we don't work at the AFL. we can't tell you <laughs> this next question has you will definitely have an answer for Gemma and that is what were the standout moments from the AFLW draft for you Rana, so many. <laughs> How much time do we have? I'll try to keep it succinct, but give I, me, no, no, give me three. Give me give your top three, three moments. Well, first of all, if um if anyone wants to read about the players that their team has drafted in, where they fit, what sort of position they can play, um, go and check out the Play on Radio blog, playonradio.live. Um, I've literally included every single well, all fifty nine players that were drafted are on that, so you can read up. Um, and it's on the homepage of Play on Radio. So go and look there because that will be great. Um, top three moments. First one being um, Amanda Ling getting drafted. Mm. She's a jet. Like she's a gun. She's a gun player. 
Um, she didn't get selected at last year's draft and went to work, focused on the areas of her game that she was told weren't quite up to scratch, um, was the best on ground at the NAB girls grand final playing for the Oakley Chargers who won that um, this year and um, has now been drafted by the Western Bulldogs and they've got an incredible player in her. She's clearly a player that's going to work hard and has some of the right skills to fit amongst what they need. So I think seeing her get drafted was just so, so good. Number two, um, the fact that Talia Gillard slid to the 40s for Melbourne to be able to get her. She's the equal tallest player in the competition with her new teammate in um, Maggie Karras, 190 centimetres. She, what? Yeah, super tall. Wow. Um, they, they've pipped Erin McKinnon, who's 189. <laughs> um, so they... Uh, Talia Gillard is a really skillful player despite her height, um, covers ground really well and has the potential to kind of play as a tall utility. So I think maybe they'll test her out in a few different areas. So between defence, ruck and forward, she'll be able to be used differently. I think she'll really add to Melbourne's long-term future covering um, some gaps that they might have. And then, oh, there's so many. I wish I didn't even know you were going to limit me to three because now I've said two and I've only got one left. <laughs> well, um, I mean, I, I know some I, of us like to have dinner. So, I know, you know. I'm sorry. Um, the other one I'll say is Amy Franklin going to Freo. Her excitement, the video of her when she got picked was just beautiful. And then the way she's interacted with Freo on social since and then finally actually going into the club and, and getting her Guernsey and all that sort of stuff. Kiara Bowers rocked up to her house that night to give her her Guernsey. Um, she's just clearly so excited to not just be selected, but to be at Freo, which I think is really fun. And I think she's going to be an absolute jet for them. She provides them so much more flexibility with the way they want to play Roxy Roo. Uh, mm-hmm. So she'll be one to watch for sure. But um, Rana's rolling her eyes at me, so I'll wrap that up. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just thought you might mention Georgie Prisparkus. Well, everyone's talking about her. She's still a highlight. She was oh, I can add her as my highlight. There are so many highlights. Like the fact that the Swans Girls Academy had their first players drafted. The fact mm-hmm. that Charlie Rowbottom went to the Suns and that's bloody exciting until she goes to the Swans when they get a team. <laughs> like um, mm-hmm. there are so many... Alison Brown getting her third chance at an AFLW club. Like there are so many things. Oh, well, it's going to be a ripper season, I reckon, and I can't wait to see them take the field. All right, well, let's get your tips and my tips and get out of here so we can watch the Ds play the West Coast Eagles. Gemma, first up, we've got Brisbane Lions versus Collingwood. What do you think? Brisbane. Brisbane for sure. Same. Geelong versus St Kilda. Oh, man. I'm going Geelong here. Uh, I'm going to uh, riskily go St Kilda. God, when you do that, you're normally right. Now I feel nervous. Really? Am I? <laughs> yes. If you've done it a few times, you'll be like, oh, on a whim, I'll go such and such. And then they win. Oh, you're the oracle. Uh, Gold Coast versus Essendon. Essendon. I think Essendon too. Giants versus Richmond, we talked about it. I think Richmond will win this. I'm going Giants. Hawthorne versus Western Bulldogs. Oh, Western Bulldogs. Same for me. Melbourne versus Adelaide. I think Melbourne, Melbourne. get it back this time. Let's hope so. North Melbourne versus Sydney. Look, Sydney. I'm going to go Sydney, but I can't say I'm not worried based on the way they played on the weekend. Yeah, Northampton have impressed me. Port Adelaide versus Carlton. Oh, I'm actually going to go Carlton just for shits and gigs. Okay, well, I'll go Port Adelaide then, <laughs> <laughs> which is what I was going to do anyway. <laughs> Fremantle versus West Coast. I think Freo will win this. This is so hard because we haven't seen West Coast play, but also Andy Brayshaw has just been suspended for this game. So what? I'm okay, going to go West I Coast. <laughs> yeah. Well, damn, I've already said Freo. 
I've written West Coast for you, so. Okay, thank you. Appreciate it. <laughs> you didn't know all the information. Uh, not that he's that much of a game changer, but <laughs> enough, I, mean, I think. He's a very good player. He is a very good player. All right. Well, thank you, Gemma, for chatting with me today. This is fun. Thank you for chatting to me. I'm just stretching. Sorry. <laughs> uh, happy continued lockdown. And hopefully by next week we'll be out of it, which I don't think we will be. But <laughs> fingers crossed. You never know. If, um, if people want to ask you questions, Rana, while you're in lockdown, where can they do that? They can do that on Twitter. I am at Rana Huss. And on Instagram. I'm going to throw my Insta in because I want to talk to people on Instagram. I am Rana B. Hussein. Where can people find you? Can I just interrupt you for one second and just say yeah. also our good friends who are you are a part of, the Outer Sanctum are returning this week. <gasps> yes, I can't believe I didn't plug that. <laughs> we are. We're back after a long hiatus. Uh, we are now podcasting with the help of our good friends, Acast, and we will be back in your ears uh, this week, this current week. Your good friends, Acast, are the ones that help bring this podcast to you as well. We're in partnership with them too. <laughs> um, so thank you, Acast, for getting both good podcasts out to you. Totally, <laughs> totally knew that. Um, <laughs> I keep running away from everything really um, well informed, <laughs> if you want to uh find me i'm at jail bestiani on twitter hit me up for aflw stuff i'm currently revamping my whole database and i'm very excited for aflw season six brilliant uh see you all next week who needs love when you've got footy actually The biggest names in tennis are coming to Paris for the most anticipated Roland Garros in years. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled tournament access as the world's top players in tennis face off against each other. Will the veteran champions continue their dominance or will a fresh face emerge to challenge their legacy on the clay courts? Daily live coverage of this epic showdown begins Monday, May 20th. Don't miss a matchup. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens.